tonight a reading from Coraline by Neil Gaiman. If you would like to hear this full book read by me as an audiobook, you can get that right now on Patreon at patreon.com slash down to sleep. For a few dollars a month, you get two episodes every week instead of one, and you get access to every episode so far, including full audiobooks. And so Coraline is one of those. You can also get The Wizard of Oz. You can get The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and more. You also get to vote on what book I read next. So do come and join me, if you can, at patreon.com slash downtosleep. We will start from where we left off, with Coraline, by Neil Gaiman. The flat had walls the colour of old milk. The wooden boards of the floor were uncarpeted and dusty, with the marks and patterns of old carpets and rugs on them. There was no furniture in there, only places where furniture had been. Nothing decorated the walls. There were discoloured rectangles on the walls to show where paintings or photographs had once hung. It was so silent that Coraline imagined that she could hear the motes of dust drifting through the air. She found herself to be quite worried that something would jump out at her, so she began to whistle. She thought it might make it harder for things to jump out at her if she was whistling. First, she walked through the empty kitchen. Then she walked through an empty bathroom containing only a cast-iron bath, and in the bath a dead spider the size of a small cat. The last room that she looked at had, she supposed, once been a bedroom. She could imagine that the rectangular dust shadow on the floorboards had once been a bed, then she saw something and smiled grimly. Set into the floorboards was a large metal ring. Coraline knelt and took the cold ring in her hands and tugged upward as hard as she could. Terribly slowly, stiffly, heavily, a hinged square of floor lifted. It was a trapdoor. It lifted, and through the opening... Coraline could see only darkness. She reached down, and her hand found a cold switch. She flicked it without much hope that it would work, but somewhere below her, a bulb lit, and a thin yellow light came up from the hole in the floor. She could see steps heading down, but nothing else. Coraline put her hand into her pocket and took out the stone with the hole in it. She looked through it at the cellar but saw nothing. She put the stone back into her pocket. Up through the hole came the smell of damp clay and something else, an acrid tang like sour vinegar. Coraline let herself down into the hole, looking nervously at the trapdoor. It was so heavy that if it fell she was sure she would be trapped down in the darkness forever. She put up a hand and touched it, but it stayed in position. And then she turned toward the darkness below, and she walked down the steps. Set into the wall at the bottom of the steps was another light switch, metal and rusting. She pushed it until it clicked down, and a naked bulb hanging from a wire from the low ceiling came on. 
it did not give up enough light even for Coraline to make out the things that had been painted onto the flaking cellar walls. The paintings seemed crude. There were eyes, she could see that, and things that might have been grapes, and other things below them, Coraline could not be sure that they were paintings of people. There was a pile of rubbish in one corner of the room. Cardboard boxes filled with mildewed papers and decaying curtains in a heap beside them. Coraline's slippers crunched across the cement floor. The bad smell was worse now. She was ready to turn and leave when she saw the foot sticking out from beneath the pile of curtains. She took a deep breath. The smells of sour wine and moldy bread filled her head, and she pulled away the damp cloth to reveal something more or less the size and shape of a person. In that dim light, it took her several seconds to recognize it for what it was. The thing was pale and swollen like a grub with thin, stick-like arms and feet. It had almost no features on its face, which had puffed and swollen like risen bread dough. The thing had two large black buttons where its eyes should have been. Coraline made a noise, a sound of revulsion and horror, and as if it had heard her and awakened, the thing began to sit up. Coraline stood there, frozen. The thing turned its head until both of its black button eyes were pointed straight at her. A mouth opened in a mouthless face, strands of pale stuff sticking to the lips, and a voice that no longer even faintly resembled her father's whispered, Coraline. Well, said Coraline to the thing that had once been her other father, at least you didn't jump out at me. The creature's twig-like hands moved to its face and pushed the clay about, making something like a nose. It said nothing. I'm looking for my parents, said Coraline, or a stolen soul from one of the other children. Are they down here? There is nothing down here, said the pale thing indistinctly. Nothing but dust and damp and forgetting. The thing was white and huge and swollen. Monstrous, thought Coraline, but also miserable. She raised the stone with the hole in it to her eye and looked through it. Nothing. The pale thing was telling her the truth. Poor thing, she said. I bet she made you come down here as punishment for telling me too much. The thing hesitated, and then it nodded. Coraline wondered how she could ever have imagined that this grub-like thing resembled her father. I'm so sorry, she said. She's not best pleased, said the thing that was once her other father. Not best pleased at all. You've put her quite out of sorts, and when she gets out of sorts, she takes it out on everybody else. It's her way. Coraline patted its hairless head, its 
Skin was tacky like warm bread dough. Poor thing, she said. You're just a thing that she made and then threw away. The thing nodded vigorously, and as it nodded, the left button eye fell off and clattered onto the concrete floor. The thing looked around vacantly with its one eye as if it had lost her. Finally, it saw her. As if making a great effort, it opened its mouth once more and in a wet, urgent voice said, Run, child. Leave this place. She wants me to hurt you, to keep you here forever, so that you can never finish the game and she will win. She's pushing me so hard to hurt you. I cannot fight her. You can, said Coraline. Be brave. She looked around. The thing that had once been the other father was between her and the steps up and out of the cellar. She started edging along the wall, heading toward the steps. The thing twisted bonelessly until its one eye was again facing her. It seemed to be getting bigger now, and more awake. Alas, it said, I cannot, and it lunged across the cellar towards her, then its toothless mouth opened wide. Coraline had a single heartbeat in which to react. She could only think of two things to do. Either she could scream and try to run away and be chased around a badly lit cellar by that huge grub thing, be chased until it caught her, or she could do something else. So she did something else. As the thing reached her, Coraline put out her hand and closed it around the thing's remaining button eye, and she tugged as hard as she knew how. For a moment, nothing happened, and then the button came away and flew from her hand, clicking against the walls before it fell to the cellar floor. The thing froze in place. It threw its pale head back blindly and opened its mouth horribly wide, and it roared its anger and frustration. Then all in a rush, the thing swept towards the place where Coraline had been standing. But Coraline was not standing there any longer. She was already tiptoeing, as quietly as she could, up the steps that would take her away from the dim cellar with the crude paintings on the wall. She could not take her eyes from the floor beneath her, across which the pale thing flopped and writhed, hunting for her. Then, as if it was being told what to do, the creature stopped moving, and its blind head tipped to one side. It's listening for me, thought Coraline. I must be extra quiet. She took another step up, and her foot slipped on the step, and the thing heard her. Its head tipped towards her. For a moment it swayed and seemed to be gathering its wits, and then, fast as a serpent, it slithered for the steps and began to flow up them towards her. Coraline turned and ran wildly, 
up the last half dozen steps and she pushed herself up onto the floor of the dusty bedroom. Without pausing, she pulled the heavy trapdoor towards her and let go of it. It crashed down with a thump, just as something large banged against it. The trapdoor shook and rattled in the floor, but it stayed where it was. Coraline took a deep breath. If there had been any furniture in the flat, even a chair, she would have pulled it onto the trapdoor. But there was nothing. She walked out of that flat as fast as she could, without actually ever running, and she locked the front door behind her. She left the door key under the mat, and then she walked down onto the drive. She had half expected that the other mother would be standing there waiting for Coraline to come out, but the world was silent and empty. Coraline wanted to go home. She hugged herself and told herself that she was brave, and she almost believed herself. Then she walked around to the side of the house, in the grey mist that wasn't a mist, and she made for the stairs to go up. Coraline walked up the stairs outside of the building to the topmost flat, where in her world the crazy old man upstairs lived. She had gone up there once with her real mother when her mother was collecting for charity. They had stood in the open doorway waiting for that crazy old man with a big moustache to find the envelope that Coraline's mother had left. The flat had smelled of strange foods and pipe tobacco and odd, sharp, cheesy-smelling things that Coraline could not name. She had not wanted to go any farther inside than that. I'm an explorer, said Coraline out loud, but her words sounded muffled and dead on the misty air. She had made it out of the cellar, hadn't she? And she had, but if there was one thing that Coraline was certain of, it was that this flat would be worse. She reached the top of the house. The topmost flat had once been the attic of the house, but that was long ago. She knocked on the green-painted door and it swung open, and she walked in. We have eyes and we have nervesies, we have tails and we have teeth. You'll all get what you deserve, sees when we rise from underneath, whispering a dozen or more tiny voices. In a dark flat with the roof so low where it met the walls that Coraline could almost reach up and touch it. Red eyes stared at her. Little pink feet scurried away as she came close. Darker shadows slipped through the shadows at the edges of things. It smelled much worse in here than the real crazy old man's upstairs flat. That smelled of food. Unpleasant food to Coraline's mind, but she knew that that was a matter of taste. She did not like spices, herbs, or exotic things. This place smelled as if all of the exotic foods in the world had been left out to go rotten. Little girl said a rustling voice in a far room. 
Yes, said Coraline. I'm not frightened, she told herself. And as she thought it, she knew that it was true. There was nothing here that frightened her. These things, even the thing in the cellar, they were illusions. Things made by the other mother in a ghastly parody of the real people and real things on the other end of the corridor. She could not truly make anything, decided Coraline. She could only twist and copy and distort things that already existed. And then Coraline found herself wondering why the other mother would have placed a snow globe on the drawing room mantelpiece. For the mantelpiece in Coraline's world was quite bare. As soon as she had asked herself the question, she realized that there was actually an answer. Then the voice came again, and her train of thought was interrupted. Come here, little girl. I know what you want, little girl. It was a rustling voice. It was scratchy and dry. It made Coraline think of some kind of enormous dead insect, which was silly, she knew. How could a dead thing, especially a dead insect, have a voice? She walked through several rooms with low, slanting ceilings until she came to the final room. It was a bedroom, and the other crazy old man upstairs sat at the far end of the room, in the near darkness and bundled up in his coat and hat. As Coraline entered, he began to talk. "'Nothing's changed, little girl,' he said." his voice sounding like the noise that dry leaves make as they rustle across a pavement. And what if you do everything that you swore you would? What then? Nothing's changed. You'll go home. You'll be bored. You'll be ignored. No one will listen to you, not really listen to you. You're too clever and too quiet for them to understand. They don't even get your name right. Stay here, with us, the voice from the figure at the end of the room. We will listen to you, and play with you, and laugh with you. Your other mother will build whole worlds for you to explore, and tear them down every night when you are done. Every day will be better and brighter than the one that went before. Remember the toy box. How much better would a world be built just like that? And all for you. And will there be grey wet days where I just don't know what to do? And there's nothing to read or to watch and nowhere to go and the day drags on forever? Asked Coraline. From the shadows the man said, Never. And will there be awful meals? with food made from recipes with garlic and tarragon and broad beans in? asked Coraline. Every meal will be a thing of joy, whispered the voice from the old man's hat. Nothing will pass your lips that does not entirely delight you. And could I have day-glow green gloves to wear? and yellow Wellington boots in the shape of frogs, 
asked Coraline. Frogs, ducks, rhinos, octopuses, whatever you desire. The world will be built new for you every morning. If you stay here, you can have whatever you want. Coraline sighed. You really don't understand, do you? I don't want whatever I want. Nobody does. Not really. What kind of fun would it be if I just got everything that I ever wanted? Just like that, and it didn't mean anything. What then? I don't understand, said the whispery voice. Of course you don't understand, she said raising the stone with the hole in it to her eye. You're just a bad copy that she made of the crazy old man upstairs. Not even that anymore, said the dead whispery voice. There was a glow coming from the raincoat of the man at about chest height. Through the hole in the stone, the glow twinkled and shone blue-white as any star. She wished that she had a stick or something to poke him with. She had no wish to get any closer to the shadowy man at the end of the room. Caroline took a step closer to the man, and he fell apart. Black rats leapt from the sleeves and from under the coat and hat, a score or more of them, red eyes shining in the dark. They chittered and they fled. The coat fluttered and fell heavily to the floor. The hat rolled into one corner of the room. Caroline reached out one hand and pulled the coat open. It was empty, although it was greasy to the touch. There was no sign of the final glass marble in it. She scanned the room squinting through the hole in the stone and caught sight of something that twinkled and burned like a star at floor level by the doorway. It was being carried in the forepaws of the largest black rat, and as she looked, it slipped away. The other rats watched her from the corners of the rooms as she ran after it. Now, rats can run faster than people, especially over short distances but a large black rat holding a marble in its two front paws is no match for a determined girl, even if she is small for her age. Smaller black rats ran back and forth across her path trying to distract her, but she ignored them all, keeping her eyes fixed on the one with the marble, who was heading straight out of the flat towards the front door. They reached the steps on the outside of the building. Coraline had time to observe that the house itself was continuing to change, becoming less distinct and flattening out, even as she raced down the stairs. It reminded her of a photograph of a house, not the thing itself. Then she was simply racing pell-mell down the steps in pursuit of the rat with no room in her mind for anything else, certain that she was gaining on it. She was running fast, too fast, she discovered, 
as she came to the bottom of one flight of stairs and her foot skidded and twisted, and she went crashing onto the concrete landing. Her left knee was scraped and skinned, and the palm of one hand that she had thrown out to stop herself was a mess of scraped skin and grit. It hurt a little, and it would, she knew, soon hurt much more. She picked the grit out of her palm and climbed to her feet. As fast as she could, knowing that she had lost it and it was already too late, she went down to the final landing at ground level. She looked around for the rat, but it was gone, and the marble with it. Her hand stung where the skin had been scraped and there was blood trickling down her ripped pajama leg from her knee. It was as bad as the summer that her mother had taken the training wheels off of Caroline's bicycle. But then, back then, in with all the cuts and the scrapes, she had a feeling of achievement. She was learning something, doing something that she had not known how to do. Now she felt nothing but cold loss. She had failed the ghost children. She had failed her parents. She had failed herself. Failed everything. She closed her eyes and wished that the earth would swallow her up. There was a cough. She opened her eyes and saw the rat. It was lying on the brick path at the bottom of the stairs, with a surprised look on its face, which was now several inches away from the rest of it. Its whiskers were stiff, its eyes were wide open, its teeth visible and yellow and sharp. A collar of wet blood glistened at its neck. Besides the decapitated rat, a smug expression on its face was the black cat. It rested one paw on the grey glass marble. I think I once mentioned, said the cat, that I don't like rats at the best of times. Looked like you needed this one. Hope you don't mind my getting involved. I think, said Coraline, trying to catch her breath, I think you may have said something of the sort. The cat lifted its paw from the marble, which rolled towards Coraline. She picked it up, and in her mind a final voice whispered to her urgently, She has lied to you. She will never give you up now that she has you. She will no more give any of us up than change her nature. The hairs on the back of Coraline's neck prickled, and Coraline knew that the girl's voice told the truth. She put the marble in her dressing gown pocket with the others. She had all three marbles now. All she needed to do was find her parents. Coraline realized with surprise that that bit was easy. She knew exactly where her parents were. If she had stopped to think, she might have known where they were all along. The other mother could not create. She could only transform, 
and twist and change. The mantelpiece in the drawing room back home was quite empty. But knowing that, she knew something else as well. The other mother, she plans to break her promise. She won't let us go, said Coraline. I wouldn't put it past her, admitted the cat. Like I said, there's no guarantee that she'll play fair. And then he raised his head. Hello? Did you see that? What? Look behind you, said the cat. The house had flattened out even more. It no longer looked like a photograph. More like a drawing. A crude, charcoal scribble. The house drawn on grey paper. Whatever's happening, said Coraline. Thank you for helping with the rat. I suppose I'm almost there, aren't I? So you go off into the mist or wherever you go and... I'll hope I get to see you at home. If she lets me go home. The cat's fur was on end. And its tail was bristling like a chimney sweep's brush. What's wrong? asked Coraline. They've gone, said the cat. They aren't there anymore. The ways in and out of this place, they just went flat. Is that bad? The cat lowered its tail, swishing it from side to side angrily. It made a low growling noise in the back of its throat. It walked in a circle until it was facing away from Coraline. And then it began to walk backwards, stiffly, one step at a time, until it was pushing up against Coraline's leg. She put down a hand to stroke it and could feel how hard its heart was beating. It was trembling, like a dead leaf in a storm. You'll be fine, said Coraline. Everything's going to be fine. I'll take you home. The cat said nothing. Come on, cat, said Coraline. She took a step back towards the steps, but the cat stayed where it was, looking miserable and oddly much smaller. If the only way out is past her, said Coraline, then that's the way we're going to go. She went back to the cat and bent down and picked it up. The cat did not resist, it simply trembled. She supported its bottom with one hand, rested its front legs on her shoulders. The cat was heavy, but not too heavy to carry. It licked at the palm of her hand where the blood from the scrape was welling up. Coraline walked up the stairs one step at a time, heading back to her own flat. She was aware of the marbles clicking in her pocket, aware of the stone with a hole in it, aware of the cat pressing itself against her. She got to her front door, now just a small child's scrawl of a door, and she pushed her hand against it half expecting that her hand would rip through it, revealing nothing, 
but blackness and a scattering of stars. But the door swung open, and Coraline went through. Once inside, in her flat, or rather, in the flat that was not hers, Coraline was pleased to see that it had not transformed into the empty drawing that the rest of the house seemed to have become. It had depth and shadows, and someone who stood in the shadows waiting for Coraline to return. So you're back, said the other mother. She did not sound pleased, and you brought vermin with you. No, said Coraline. I brought a friend. She could feel the cat stiffening under her hands, as if it were anxious to be away. Coraline wanted to hold on to it like a teddy bear, for reassurance. But she knew that cats hate to be squeezed, and she suspected that frightened cats were liable to bite and scratch, if provoked in any way, even if they were on your side. You know I love you, said the other mother flatly. You have a very funny way of showing it, said Coraline. She walked down the hallway and turned into the drawing room. Steady step by steady step, pretending that she could not feel the other mother's blank black eyes on her back. Her grandmother's formal furniture was still there, and the painting on the wall of the strange fruit. But now the fruit in the painting had been eaten. All that remained in the bowl was the browning core of an apple, several plum and peach stones, and the stem of what had formerly been a bunch of grapes. The lion-pawed table raked the carpet with its clawed wooden feet, as if it were impatient for something. At the end of the room, in the corner, stood the wooden door which had once in another place opened onto a plain brick wall. Coraline tried not to stare at it. The window showed nothing but mist. This was it, Coraline knew. The moment of truth. The unravelling time. The other mother had followed her in. Now she stood in the centre of the room, between Coraline and the mantelpiece, and she looked down at Coraline, with black button eyes, it was funny, Coraline thought. The other mother did not look anything at all like her own mother. She wondered how she had ever been deceived into imagining a resemblance. The other mother was huge, her head almost brushed the ceiling, and very pale, the colour of a spider's belly. Her hair writhed and twined about her head, and her teeth were sharp as knives. Well, said the other mother sharply, where are they? Coraline leaned against an armchair, adjusted the cat with her left hand, put her right hand into her pocket and pulled out three glass marbles. They were a frosted grey and they clinked together in the palm of her hand. The other mother reached her white fingers for them, but Coraline slipped them back into her pocket. She knew it was true then. The other mother had no intention of letting her go or of keeping her word. 
it had been an entertainment and nothing more. Hold on, she said. We aren't finished yet, are we? The other mother looked daggers, but smiled sweetly. No, she said. I suppose not. After all, you still need to find your parents, don't you? Yes, said Coraline. I must not look at the mantelpiece, she thought. I must not even think about it. Well, said the other mother, produce them. Would you like to look in the cellar again? I have some other interesting things hidden down there, you know. No, said Coraline. I know where my parents are. The cat was heavy in her arms. She moved it forward, unhooking its claws from her shoulder as she did so. Where? It stands to reason, said Coraline. I've looked everywhere you'd hide them. They aren't in the house. The other mother stood very still, giving nothing away, lips tightly closed. She might have been a wax statue. Even her hair had stopped moving. So, Coraline continued, both hands wrapped firmly around the black cat. I know where they have to be. You've hidden them in the passageway between the houses, haven't you? They're behind that door. She nodded her head towards the door in the corner. The other mother remained statue still, but a hint of a smile crept back onto her face. Oh, they are, are they? Why don't you open it, said Coraline. They'll be there, all right. It was her only way home, she knew. But it all depended on the other mother's needing to gloat, needing not only to win but to show that she had won. The other mother reached her hand slowly into her apron pocket and produced the black iron key. The cat stirred uncomfortably in Coraline's arms, as if it wanted to get down. Just stay there for a few moments longer, she thought, wondering if it could hear her. I'll get us both home. I said I would. I promise. She felt the cat relax ever so slightly in her arms. The other mother walked over to the door and pushed the key into the lock. She turned the key. Coraline heard the mechanism clunk heavily. She was already starting as quietly as she could, step by step, to back away towards the mantelpiece. The other mother pushed down on the door handle and pulled open the door, revealing a corridor behind it, dark and empty. There, she said, waving her hands at the corridor, the expression of delight on her face was a very bad thing to see. You're wrong. You don't know where your parents are, do you? They aren't there. She turned and looked at Coraline. Now, you're going to stay here. Forever. And always. No, said Coraline. I'm not. And hard as she could, she threw the black cat towards the other mother. It yowled and landed on the other mother's head, claws flailing, teeth bared, fierce and angry, 
fur on end. It looked half again as big as it was in real life. Without waiting to see what would happen, Coraline reached up to the mantelpiece, closed her hand around the snow globe, pushing it deep into the pocket of her dressing gown. The cat made a deep yowl and sank its teeth into other mother's cheek. She was flailing at it. Blood ran from the cuts on her white face. Not red blood, but a deep, tarry black stuff. Coraline ran for the door. She pulled the key out of the lock. Leave her. Come on, she shouted to the cat. It hissed and swiped its scalpel-sharp claws at the other mother's face in one wild rake, which left black ooze trickling from several gashes on the other mother's nose. Then it sprang down toward Coraline. Quickly, she said. The cat ran towards her, and they both stepped into the dark corridor. It was colder in the corridor, like stepping down into a cellar on a warm day. The cat hesitated for a moment, and then seeing that other mother was coming towards them, it ran to Coraline and stopped by her legs. Coraline began to pull the door closed. It was heavier than she imagined a door could be. Pulling it closed was like trying to close a door against a high wind. And then she felt something from the other side starting to pull against her. Shut, she thought, and then said out loud, Come on, please. She felt the door begin to move, to pull closed, to give against the phantom wind. Suddenly, she was aware of other people in the corridor with her. She could not turn her head to look at them, but she knew them without having to look. Help me, please, she said. All of you. The other people in the corridor, three children, two adults, were somehow too insubstantial to touch the door. But their hands closed about hers as she pulled on the big iron door handle. Suddenly... She felt strong. Never let up, miss. Hold strong, hold strong, whispered a voice in her mind. Pull, girl, pull, whispered another. And then a voice that sounded like her mother's, her own mother, her real, wonderful, maddening, infuriating, glorious mother just said, Well done, Caroline. And that was enough. The door started to slip closed easily as anything. No, screamed a voice from beyond the door. It no longer sounded even faintly human. Something snatched at Coraline, reaching through the closing gap between the door and the doorpost. Coraline jerked her head out of the way, but the door began to open once more. We're going to go home, said Coraline, we are. Help me. She ducked the snatching fingers. They moved through her. Ghost hands lent her strength that she no longer possessed. There was a final moment of resistance. 
as if something was caught in the door, and then, with a crash, the wooden door banged closed. Something dropped from Coraline's head height to the floor. It landed with a sort of scuttling thump. Come on, said the cat. This is not a good place to be in, quickly. Coraline turned her back on the door and began to run, as fast as was practical, through the dark corridor, running her hand along the wall to make sure she didn't bump into anything or get turned around in the darkness. It was an uphill run, and it seemed to her that it went on for a longer distance than anything could possibly go. The wall she was touching felt warm and yielding now, and she realized it felt as if it were covered in a fine downy fur. It moved as if it were taking a breath. She snatched her hand away from it. Winds howled in the dark. She was scared that she would bump into something, and she put out her hand for the wall once more. This time what she touched felt hot and wet, as if she had put her hand in somebody's mouth. She pulled it back with a small wail. Her eyes adjusted to the dark. She could half see, faintly glowing patches ahead of her, two adults, three children. She could hear the cat too, padding in the dark in front of her. And there was something else, which suddenly scuttled between her feet and nearly sending Coraline flying. She caught herself before she went down, using her own momentum to keep moving. She knew that if she fell in that corridor, she might never get up again. Whatever that corridor was, was older by far than the other mother. It was deep and slow, and it knew that she was there. Then daylight appeared, and she ran towards it, puffing and wheezing. Almost there, she called encouragingly, but in the light she discovered that the wraiths had gone, and she was alone. She did not have time to wonder what had happened to them. Panting for breath, she staggered through the door and slammed it behind her, with the loudest and most satisfying bang that you can imagine. Coraline locked the door with the key, and put the key back into her pocket. The black cat was huddled in the farthest corner of the room, the pink tip of its tongue showing and its eyes wide. Coraline went over to it and crouched down beside it. I'm sorry, she said. I'm sorry that I threw you at her. It was the only way to distract her enough to get us all out. She would never have kept her word, would she? The cat looked up at her and rested its head on her hand, licking her fingers with its sandpapery tongue. It began to purr. Then we're friends, said Coraline. She sat down on 
one of her grandmother's uncomfortable armchairs, and the cat sprang up into her lap and made itself comfortable. The light that came through the picture window was daylight, real golden late afternoon daylight, not a white mist light. The sky was a robin's egg blue, and Coraline could see trees and beyond the trees green hills, which faded on the horizon into purples and greys. The sky had never seemed so sky. The world had never seemed so world. Coraline stared at the leaves on the trees, at the patterns of light and shadow on the cracked bark of the trunk of a beech tree outside the window. She looked down at her lap, at the way that the rich sunlight brushed every hair on the cat's head, turning each white whisker to gold. Nothing, she thought, had ever been so interesting. And caught up in the interestingness of the world, Coraline barely noticed that she had wriggled down and curled cat-like on her mother's uncomfortable armchair. Nor did she notice when she fell into a deep and dreamless sleep. Her mother shook her gently awake. Coraline, she said. Darling, what a funny place to fall asleep. And really, this room is only for best. We looked all over the house for you. Coraline stretched and blinked. I'm sorry, she said. I fell asleep. I can see that, said her mother. And wherever did that cat come from? He was waiting by the front door when I came in, shot out like a bullet as I opened it. Probably had things to do, said Coraline. Then she hugged her mother so tightly that her arms began to ache. Her mother hugged Coraline back. Dinner in fifteen minutes, said her mother. Don't forget to wash your hands and just look at those pajama bottoms. What did you do to your poor knee? I tripped, said Coraline. She went into the bathroom and washed her hands and cleaned her bloody knee. She put ointment on her cuts and scrapes. She went into her bedroom, her real bedroom, her true bedroom. She pushed her hands into the pockets of her dressing gown and pulled out three marbles, a stone with a hole in it, the black key, and an empty snow globe. She shook the snow globe and watched the glittery snow swirl through the water to fill an empty world. She put it down and watched the snow fall, covering the place where the little couple had once stood. Coraline took a piece of string from her toy box, and she strung the black key on the string. She knotted the string and hung it around her neck. There, she said. She put on some clothes and hid the key under her t-shirt. It was cold against her skin. The stone went into her pocket. Coraline walked down the hallway to her father's study. 
He had his back to her, but she knew, just on seeing him, that his eyes, when he turned around, would be her father's kind grey eyes. She crept over and kissed him on the back of his balding head. Hello, Coraline, he said, and he looked around and smiled at her. What was that for? Nothing, said Coraline. I just miss you sometimes, that's all. Oh, good, he said. He put the computer to sleep, stood up, and for no reason at all he picked Coraline up, which he had not done for such a long time. Not since he started pointing out to her that she was much too old to be carried. And he carried her into the kitchen. Dinner that night was pizza. And even though it was homemade by her father, so the crust was alternately thick and doughy and raw, or too thin and burnt. And even though he had put slices of green pepper on it, along with little meatballs and, of all things, pineapple chunks... Coraline ate the entire slice that she had been given. Well, she ate everything except for the pineapple chunks. And soon enough, it was bedtime. Coraline kept the key around her neck. But she put the grey marbles beneath her pillow. And in bed that night, Coraline dreamed a dream. She was at a picnic under an old oak tree in a green meadow. The sun was high in the sky, and while there were distant fluffy white clouds on the horizon, the sky above her head was a deep untroubled blue. There was a white linen cloth laid on the grass with bowls piled high with food. She could see salads and sandwiches, nuts and fruit, Jugs of lemonade and water and thick chocolate milk. Coraline sat on one side of the tablecloth while three other children took a side each. They were dressed in the oddest clothes. The smallest of them, sitting on Coraline's left, was a boy with red velvet knee breeches and a frilly white shirt. His face was dirty. He was piling his plate high with boiled new potatoes and with what looked like cold, whole-cooked trout. "'This is the finest of picnics, lady,' he said to her. "'Yes,' said Coraline, "'I think it is. I wonder who organised it.' "'Why, I rather think you did, miss,' said a tall girl, sitting opposite Coraline. She wore a brown and rather shapeless dress.' and had a brown bonnet on her head which tied beneath her chin. And we are more grateful for it, and for all than ever words can say. She was eating slices of bread and jam, deftly cutting the bread from a large golden brown loaf with a huge knife, spooning on the purple jam with a wooden spoon, and she had jam all around her mouth. "'Aye, this is the finest food I have eaten in centuries,' said the girl on Coraline's right. She was a very pale child, dressed in what seemed to be spider's webs, 
with a circle of glittering silver set in her blonde hair. Coraline could have sworn that the girl had two wings, like dusty silver butterfly wings, not bird wings, coming out of her back. The girl's plate was piled high with pretty flowers. She smiled at Coraline, as if it had been a very long time since she had smiled, and she had almost, but not quite, forgotten how. Coraline found herself liking this girl immensely. And then, in the way of dreams, the picnic was done, and they were playing in the meadow, running and shouting and tossing a glittering ball from one to another. Coraline knew it was a dream then, because none of them ever got tired, or winded, or out of breath. She wasn't even sweating. They just laughed, and ran, in a game that was partly tag, partly piggy in the middle, partly just a magnificent romp. Three of them ran along the ground while the pale girl fluttered a little over their heads, swooping down on butterfly wings to grab the ball and swing up again into the sky before she tossed the ball to the other children. And then, without a word about it being spoken, the game was done, and the four of them went back to the picnic cloth, where the lunch dishes had been cleared away, and there were four bowls waiting for them, three of ice cream and one of honeysuckle flowers piled high. They ate with relish. Thank you for coming to my party, said Coraline, if it is mine. The pleasure is ours, Coraline Jones, said the winged girl, nibbling on another honeysuckle blossom. If there were but something we could do for you, to thank you, to reward you. Aye, said the boy, with the red velvet breeches and the dirty face. He put out his hand and held Coraline's hand with his own. It was warm now. It's a very fine thing that you did for us, miss, said the tall girl. She now had a smear of chocolate ice cream all around her lips. I'm just pleased it's all over, said Coraline. Was it her imagination, or did a shadow cross the faces of the other children at the picnic? The winged girl, the circlet in her hair glittering like a star, rested her fingers for a moment on the back of Coraline's hand. It is over and done with for us, she said. This is our staging post. From here we three will set out for uncharted lands, and what comes after no one alive can say. She stopped talking. There's a but, isn't there? said Coraline. I can feel it, like a rain cloud. The boy on her left tried to smile bravely, but... His lower lip began to tremble. He bit it with his upper teeth and said nothing. The girl in the brown bonnet shifted uncomfortably and said, Yes, miss. But I got you three back, said Coraline. I got mum and dad back. I shut the door. I locked it. What more was I meant to do? 
The boy squeezed Caroline's hand with his. She found herself remembering when it had been she trying to reassure him, when he was little more than a cold memory in the darkness. Well, can't you give me a clue? asked Caroline. Isn't there something you can tell me? The beldam swore by her good right hand, said the tall girl. But she lied. My governess, said the boy. She used to say that nobody's ever given more to shoulder than he or she can bear. He shrugged as he said this as if he had not yet made his own mind up whether or not it was true. We wish you luck, said the winged girl. Good fortune and wisdom and courage. Although you have already shown that you have all three of these blessings and in abundance. She hates you, blurted out the boy. She hasn't lost anything for so long. Be wise, be brave, be tricky. But it's not fair, said Coraline in her dream angrily. It's just not fair. It should be over. The boy with the dirty face stood up and hugged Coraline tightly. Take comfort in this, he whispered. Thou art alive. Thou livest. And in her dream, Coraline saw that the sun had set and the stars were twinkling in a darkening sky. Coraline stood in the meadow, and she watched as the three children, two of them walking, one flying, went away from her across the grass, silver in the light of the huge moon. The three of them came to a small wooden bridge over a stream. They stopped there and turned and waved, and Coraline waved back. What came after was darkness. And that is where we close the book on this week's episode of Down to Sleep. <laughs>